Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Members, look around you. We have guests and visitors. And by the way, guests and visitors, thank you for being here today. And I hope you filled out a visitor's card and uh, submitted that today in one of our connection cards so we have a record of your visit. We certainly want you to enjoy the service today. We want to be a blessing to you as best we can. But look around. If someone doesn't have a Bible or maybe a New Testament, if you can help with that, that would be a blessing here. Ephesians chapter 4, go to verse 25. And we're in a very practical passage of Scripture, but we're still on our theme of yours forever. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Tonight, be here at 515 for our evening service. Looking forward to the dedication of these, these little uh, precious babies and children. Time prayer dedication, encouragement to the families that will be here for that. All right, say amen if you're there. Amen. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sakes, have forgiven you. Would you do me the honor this morning to read verses in 32 with me? Let's read it together, if you would, verses 30 and 32. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sakes, has forgiven you. Father, we thank you today that the word of God never changes. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. We thank you. Your word is like silver, purified in a furnace of fire seven times over. And thou hast preserved them forever, O Lord. And we thank you today, Lord, for your goodness towards us and giving us the word of God. We thank you that the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. The Bible says of itself that it is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword piercing and dividing asunder the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you promise us, and the psalmist said, Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in the keeping of them there is great reward. And so, Father, this morning we come to you as a God-fearing people, realizing that your word is a medicine. We realize this morning your word is a mirror. Realize this morning, God, your word is a mandate that you've given to us. Father, help us not to be disrespectful to the word of God and to let none of the word of God fall to the ground, as Samuel said. And rather, instead, Lord, we pray we'd be like like Jeremiah of old, who said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. For by thy name am I called, O Lord my God. Father, this is a holy congregation. David called it a great congregation. And this morning we pray for this congregation to be sanctified by the word of your truth. You said sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And we've, you promised in Ephesians chapter 5 that, Lord, that you would, you would wash the congregation through the washing of the water by the word. And we need cleansing. We need purifying. We need you to go through our hearts and help us to reveal those areas of our lives that we need help in. And as we continue this series on the family, especially on today's very important topic... Give us a teachable heart and spirit, not looking at casting blame, not looking to find fault, but accepting responsibility, Lord, for our own lives and what we must do before the Spirit of God. Before we even begin this preaching time, give us a spirit of humility and meekness, Lord, whereby we may receive the engrafted word which will save souls. Thank you, Lord, today that Christ is the word of God. He's the living word. And this morning we want to exalt Jesus because the Bible says, if he be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. And today we want to lift up Christ and glorify him, give instruction, give quickening, give working today, give understanding, we pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say, you may be seated. On September 11th, 2001, our nation's safety and security was altered from that point forward. That morning I was driving with a number of our men going down to the 
Pastors and Workers Conference at North Valley Baptist Church. We left about 6 o'clock that morning to beat the traffic down to Silicon Valley. While we were in the car, we had heard the news of how two large aircraft had crashed into the Twin Towers there in New York City. Not long after that, we heard about another plane crashing into the Pentagon. Not long after that, we heard about another one which was what had crashed somewhere in the field there in Pennsylvania. While all of us were trying to get our arms around what was going on and grasp what was happening, it became very clear to us that something, something very bad was happening. On that day, September 11, 2001, terrorists made their mark on America and took an America that was sleeping and not paying attention to its national security and altered the course of security from that point forward. President George W. Bush at that time, realizing the severity of the situation, went and with consultation with Congress, established what we know today as homeland security. And everyone here, if you've flown through our airports, you've crossed the borders, you have experienced homeland security. You've experienced the delays on the line, the identification process, and all that goes with that. And homeland security was created to add an extra layer of awareness and sensitivity and defense for our country to protect you and I. And I'm just telling you this morning, I don't know what your thought is, but I'm just thankful for the things I don't know about, that I really don't want to know about, that our homeland security takes care of to protect us and help us so that we are prevented from having attacks of terrorism. I want you to notice in our passage of Scripture, as we're on our series this morning of Yours Forever, this mini-series on the home, we are looking at a passage that encourages us, exhorts us, and teaches us about the importance of homeland security. This morning, your home, my home, is a place where there must be spiritual homeland security. For our young couples starting out in marriage or just recently married in the last few years, you are at a place where you need to establish homeland security. For those who have been married for many years, and whether you have still a fullness or you have an emptiness, your home is still in need of homeland security. In the series that I've covered, we talked about the following. In our first message in Matthew 19, I preached you a message entitled, How to Have a Marriage Made in Heaven. And we talked about how God's intention, Jesus is preaching to those Pharisees of His intention his motivation, God's idea about a marriage made in heaven. Our second message that same evening was from Ephesians chapter 5. We talked about tying up the knots and looking at the mutual responsibilities of husbands and wives. Last Sunday morning, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 3 and a message entitled Order in the House and what to do when we experience conflicts in our marriages and conflicts in our home. And young people, you have conflicts with your parents. And parents, you have conflicts with your, with your children. We, these are vital things we need to hear. This morning, we are going to step further and looking at the necessity of homeland security. We're looking at the fact that Satan is out to divide our home. Satan is out. By the way, look up here. The Satan is out to divide our church. Satan's out to plant himself in places where we really don't want him. We have to understand today, Satan is a divider. Satan has the power of death, but praise God, Jesus Christ has the power of life. Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. The devil is a liar, but Jesus Christ is all truth. The devil is a deceiver, but Jesus tells the truth. And this morning, we want to expose who the devil is in this matter. He's not a figment of the imagination. He's not some storybook fable. He is a real He's a real, he is the personification of evil, he's the summation of all evil, he's wicked, he's devile, his name renamed the devil, Diabolus means a divider or accuser of the brethren. And this morning we want to put our finger on what the devil is trying to do to hurt your family and mine. Always remind yourself, whenever things happen in our homes that are not right, that causes conflict and things, always remind yourself, the devil is the author behind that. The devil is the one trying to divide. I want you to notice three things about homeland security today, and I hope you'll take some good notes this morning to help you today. Number one, I want you to notice in our passage of Scripture, Satan's invasion strategy. I want you to notice with me Satan's invasion strategy. Crime statistics indicate that there are 2.5 million burglaries per year across the United States. Can you imagine that? 2.5 million burglaries and the numbers growing may actually be higher now. This breaks down at that number to one burglary every 13 seconds. 13 seconds from now, another home is going to be broken into. Can you imagine that? One burglary every 13 seconds. And just like a home invasion, Satan is studying your home. He's studying my home. He's looking for a soft spot to invade your home. Now, a soft spot is a place of vulnerability. You say, preacher, what do you mean by a soft spot? What do you mean by a vulnerability? Example. 
I was out door knocking right around the corner, the other side of our freeway here. I was out door knocking and visiting and inviting folks to church. And I came to home. This happens about one every, every 1,000 doors, I think. And I saw a key in the front door. Now, how many understand that is an open invitation for, for someone to come to your house? Amen? That is a soft spot. That is a period of vulnerability. So I took that as an opportunity. I don't get an idea. I didn't open the door, okay? I, I, you probably, yeah, he probably opened the door and went inside. I didn't do that, okay? But I took this as an opportunity. I kept ringing the doorbell. Now, they were probably sleeping. I just kept ringing the doorbell. And I, Kept knocking there. Finally, a very annoyed person came to the door and says, What do you want? I said, Well, I thought just to let you know you left your key in the door. And they said, Oh. They said, Who are you? I said, Doesn't matter. It's more important. I, I came to invite you to church. Amen. It might be a key left in the door, it might be a window that's left open. My wife and I have a, an acquaintance we know that. Lived in a two-story home. And the two-story, the second story, the bathroom window, which only opened by about this much, was at least, I don't know, what are you, 15, 20 feet up? 15, 20 feet up? And someone saw that the window was open and took some boards and climbed up and got help from someone else. Hoisted they got through the bedroom door, bathroom door. And broken their house and ravaged it and bypassed all the security systems and everything. They had a kind of idea of the layout of the home. Hey, a soft spot is an area like that. It's a key left in the door. It's a window that's left open. It's a door that's a jar. It's a front door somebody forgot to close. And they, we, we look at these things. They look for soft spots. They look for areas of vulnerability. Listen, the very first home that experienced an invasion in their lives was the home of Adam and Eve. They had a soft spot. The, the devil came to them as a serpent and slyly worked his way next to to Eve and started and engaged her in a conversation. As he engaged her in a conversation, he started to work within her pride and her ego. And as she let her guard down, she opened herself up to temptation and succumbed to temptation. Listen, the devil has an invasion strategy. We see this invasion strategy here in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice, first of all, we see in verse uh, 27, notice the devil's placement. The Bible says in verse 27, neither give place to the devil. The devil looks for an area of a soft spot. He looks for an area of vulnerability. The devil looks for a place where he can park himself. The idea there, neither give place to the devil, means if you've left a window open for an extended period of time and you've not been home, somebody comes in and they wait around. They decide you're not going to be there. It's kind of like a squatter. A squatter will come inside a premise that's been occupied. They'll get inside there. They'll take occupancy there and just kind of, as the term goes, they'll just kind of squat in there. They'll just sit, they'll just sit in there and take up occupancy until they're told to get out. And that's what the devil's looking to do in your spiritual life, in my spiritual life, in our marriages, in our homes, in our families. He's trying to find a place where he can occupy things. As we read through Ephesians, we realize that Paul gives eminence to the idea of the fact that Satan is a is the personification of all evil. He speaks about Satan and talks about his, the, the, the hierarchies of evil. If you look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, he mentions those hierarchies of evil. Those hierarchies are principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness and high places. And he says here, beware of the fact the devil tries to find different channels and means in which to come your home. Hey, listen to me. Our, in our new age we're in right now, the devil is trying to find occupancy in your home, the soft spot through the television. He's trying to find a soft spot through the internet and through, uh, the, through computers where there's no filtering devices and pornography and other types of things come into your home. He tries to find way through that, through things that you receive in the mail, whatever it may be. The devil's looking for a way to get a place in your home and take occupancy as a squatter. Now, I wonder this morning as we think about this verse or verse 27, the devil's placement. I wonder how many of us have started thinking about our home. I wonder if I've left something in my spiritual home or my marriage, a window open, a key in the door. Is there some soft spot that the devil has taken up occupancy in? We see the devil's placement. But notice, secondly, we see the devil's poison. Remember, the devil has a strategy. Number one, he's seeking a place. He doesn't want to come in and come out. He wants to go in and take occupancy. But notice, secondly, the devil uses his poison. Notice in verses 26 to 31, he uses various means of poison to poison the relationships, to poison the home. He seeks to insidiously use poison to defile and destroy the family relationship. For the sake sake of time, I want you to notice in these verses of Scripture, I'm going to break it down into two categorizations. I want you to notice two types of poisons that the devil is using to hinder and work in our homes. First of all, notice (coughs) verse 25 and 29, there's the poison of the sins of speech. 
In verse 25, he's addressing the church at Ephesus in general. You have to bear in mind the tendency of the Grecian culture. We talked about this the other night. We're talking about the, 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 the people of Crete. The Grecian culture, the tendency for most people was that they were liars. Paul cited a prophet of one of the Christians. He said, the Christians themselves are liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. In Grecian community, the Grecian culture, people just, they lied without having any conscience about things. Notice what he says there in verse 20, 25, uh, 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for your members one of another. There's the sins of speech. The first sins of speech are lying words. I'm going to ask you some questions. Please buckle your seatbelt because they're very probing questions. Are you truthful with your spouse? Are you truthful with your parents? Are you holding on to an area, a password, some secrecy that you should be sharing openly? The Bible says, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Are you full disclosure? Are you honest in your communications? Are you someone who discourages your spouse or your parents or your child through unfulfilled or unkept promises? Are there house projects that need to be attended to that have been put off and put off and put off? Are there responsibilities that need to be done that are put off and put off and put off? And by the way, sometimes it may not just be one spouse. It may mean both spouses have to work at it together. I mean, remember, we're in this together to become one. Amen? In Genesis 2.25, we read about the very first marriage. The Bible says in Genesis 2.25 about uh, Adam and Eve, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And I want you to stand here in an application. Adam and Eve had no secrets. Adam and Eve were full disclosure. They did not live a double life. They lived before one another's open books. They instilled confidence in each other, and they spoke the truth in love. Listen, Proverbs 26:28. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Lying is evidence of the fact of a false witness. As we know from the Scriptures, the bearing a false witness is the breaking of the ninth commandment that God gave to Moses, trans down to us. First of all, we look at this morning, one of the sins of speech that Paul is dealing with here in verse 25 is the sin of lying. But notice the second one. We go down to verse 29. Lying could be a poison. But notice corrupt communication can be a poison. Notice in verse 29, he's speaking to these believers who have been saved out of a pagan background, but the pagan background was still inside of them. They had not undergone a complete transformation. That's why when you read all of Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking to us as members of the body of Jesus Christ of how we're to function. Listen, the church of the living God is to be a functional body, is to be a fundamental body. It is not it's supposed to be a faith body, not a dysfunctional body. And when we look at ourselves this morning, we must be very honest and don't get tense and upset about what's going to be said here. We must understand this morning, we need the Lord to speak to us about what is coming out of our mouth. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, the believers at that time were facing things. They had an old nature and the tendency of the old nature. They were doing practices and things that they just got used to. And the church at Ephesus was which probably at that time I was telling one of our classes this morning, maybe at that moment of time, had the church at Ephesus may have been more influential and making a greater impact with the gospel than the church at Jerusalem. We're told in Acts chapter 19 that after Paul went to Ephesus and got the church organized and going there, the Bible says that the gospel spread, the word of God went throughout all of Asia. Asia is referring to what we know now as modern Turkey. But many, many great churches were established at that time. We read about seven of those churches, uh, six other churches of those I mentioned in, in, in uh, Revelations 2 and 3. And then in Colossians chapter 4, we read about another two of those churches. And they were a thriving church and the great churches that were going on at that time. But there was a tendency as they got saved that some old, bad, sinful habits had not escaped them. Notice again what he says in verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now what is corrupt communication? Well, the word corrupt has the idea of something that's putrid, something that's bad, and has the idea of worthless words, words that are very terrible words. And some of these things, we could boil it down to this. He's talking about cursing words. He's talking about critical words. He's talking about complaining words. 
He's talking about contentious words. Basically, these are words that tear down, words that discourage, words that are inflammatory, words that lead to fighting, words that lead to aggravation. Listen, he's talking to his body, Christ here. Be careful that this kind of speech pattern persists in your home. I read the story. It's a very convicting story about a man and wife who had continual conflict throughout their marriage. And they'd gone several years continual conflict with one another. And finally, they started praying about the situation. They were getting under the ministry of God's word. And they decided to have a teachable heart and spirit. And so the husband came home and said, honey, let's try this. Let's, let's take a box. Let's put a box right on the, right on the centerpiece, our, our, our fireplace. And he says, let's just do this. We'll call it the fault box. And in that fault box, anything you see wrong with me, you put in there. And anything I see wrong in you, you put in there as well. There too, so we could work through those situations. And so she said, that's a good idea. And so after 30 days, they, they looked at the fault box. And hers was one color. His was another color. For the sake of our discussion for this message, hers was a pink color. His was a blue color, right? And so they started. And they looked at all the pink color ones. And there, everything is wife and put in there she put in a number of things she says you're too loud you snore too much you're, you're this you're that and all these complaints wrote all these things down and she says you know you're messy you don't clean up for yourselves and you leave water here you don't do this you don't do that and she put down everything that's there i mean she, the agreement was we'd put that they would put down all their faults together inside there so she read all the things and, and basically the husband would pick up each piece of paper and he's reading all of his faults that his wife had wrote, wrote out there and of course he, was, he he had made a decision he was going to be very quiet through this and accept it humbly and then he, she went they went to the side of the box which had the blue piece of paper everything the husband wrote down and that she looked at it every single thing for 30 days he put 30 messages there and this was the message i love you 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 we have to be very, very careful this morning that we don't get to a place where we're looking for faults, we're looking for trouble, we're clearing down things, we're complaining. By the way, a complaining spirit does nobody any good, amen? The spirit of a man will sustain his own infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who shall bear? And we're not very careful that things that come out could do damage for a lifetime. It can create, it cause that root of bitterness to come up. That's already inside of us here. And he's talking about these sins of speech. Or he talks about lying. He talks about corrupt communication. I wonder this morning, am I talking to somebody who's got a cursing problem? I wonder this morning if the Word of God is speaking to us about a critical spirit problem. Or a complaining problem. Where everything's not picture perfect. I'm just saying this morning, I'm going to let the Word of God fall where it may. But he encourages us here this morning about the fact we must have a, a, a speech that comes out of our mouth, which is good to the use of edifying. Notice number one, he talks about the poison of speech. But notice number two, he talks about the poison of our spirit. There's sins of speech and sins of the spirit. And notice in verse 30 and 31, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Listen, sins of the Spirit are temperamental, emotional reactions of the flesh. All of us are temperamental beings. We're called at the wrong time, the wrong place. We're at a low moment when we're tired, we're weak, we're weary, we're burdened down with other things, and we're trying not to burden other people, and then something's said, and it brings out this sin inside of us. Sins of the Spirit are these very things. Look again with me, if you would, at verse 31. He describes it as bitterness and wrath and anger and malice and clamor and evil speaking and these type of things. There, He's talking about these being uh, sins of the Spirit. You've heard me say many times, sins of the Spirit, everything mentioned there, are all emanations out of bitterness. Bitterness is in all of us. All of us have a root of bitterness. The root of bitterness is hidden, but when it comes forth, it's a very harmful root, and it defiles many. And when bitterness comes out, it emanates and produces anger and wrath and malice and clamor and evil speaking and outcries. The word clamor means outcries, where we have to prove that we're right about things. And the Bible says not only that does it grieve our spouse, not only does it grieve our parents, not only does it grieve our, our, our children, but notice here, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Notice again, verse 29. He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, if you read everything leading up to this, everything leading up to this speaks about the emphasis of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and with that indwelling, that we are so focused on our spiritual life that we are, we are asking God to help us produce the fruit of the Spirit. That Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 speak about. We must understand this morning, the devil has an invasion strategy. He's trying to find the, his placement there. And then he has his poison. And he's trying to find his way to work in our lives. 
Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, was preaching in a conference. And he had a, someone had given him a cup of water. And we, we actually did the illustration earlier than I should have. Amen. And uh, the cup of water was filled to the brim. And he was trying to emphasize a point as he did so. He was kind of the, the pulpit at that time was more of a table type of, type of platform. And he just kind of went like this. And as he did so, the, the water was on the top you've ever done that kind of spills over. And uh, as it spilled over, he looked at it and he seized upon it as a moment of time. He says, hey, you know what, what happens there? He says, that's what happens with us. He says, when something spills out, it shows what's really inside of us at that moment of time. And we must understand that what bottles up inside of us is not dealt with by the Holy Spirit of God. It's what comes out of us. You, you know, we're going to come against much trouble, but we must understand it's what, what's inside of us that will spill out. And so this morning we see the devil's invasion strategy. But listen, I'm not going to spend, spend a lot of time telling you about the strategy of the devil because I want you to understand. God has given us through the same passage of Scripture some safeguards. Amen? We have from this passage of Scripture some insulated safeguards. God gave us safeguards. God gave us these safeguards to insulate us, to protect us, to help us to deal with some of these issues. Because remember, the devil is the one trying to seek an invasion into your home and mine. And I want you to notice two categories in verses 25 to 32, two categorizations of these safeguards God gives us. The first one are defensive safeguards. They're defensive safeguards. You know, those defensive safeguards are being being wise and setting up barriers and setting up fortresses and hedges, uh, hedges around us to prevent the devil from having his way. Notice verse 27 again. The same verse that reminds us that he wants to make a placement is the same verse that tells us to be defensive. He says in verse 27, neither give place to the devil. In other words, don't leave the keys out for the devil to open your door. Don't leave a window open before you leave. Don't leave a door open. Close the doors. Lock the door. Lock the windows. Don't give the devil an opportunity to enter into your home. Don't let him get into your soul life. Don't let him use some incident that happened to get inside of you. I read the story of of a man who was in Bible college. And they had been studying there on, on different things, different theologies, and different, uh, two doctrines they had been spending time on. One was on the Holy Spirit, and one was on, on Satan, the personality of Satan. And the day of the finals came, and the instructor came. The instructor says, listen, you're to write a paper. You have two hours to write a paper. I want you to spend this paper that you write. Half the paper has to be on the Holy Spirit. Half of it has to be on Satan. While the time was wearing down, and the, and the students were working away, they're writing their paper, trying to pull everything they could remember from what they learned and what they had from the, they remembered from the Bible. And they're writing it down and the seconds came down and basically the instructor said you've got 60 seconds you need to finish and everybody was hurriedly trying to finish up and then they started and then he said five four three two one stop put your pens down and so they all did and so they started walking up and putting turning their papers in one student sat there at the last he was the last one he turned it in and the instructor said why are you the last one he said well read my answer at the bottom and he looked at the paper and the student spent two hours writing about the holy spirit and he didn't have anything there about the devil and this is what he wrote at the bottom of his paper he says i was too busy writing about the holy spirit i had no time for the devil amen and i remind you today that's how our attitude should be we should have no time for the devil amen we should need to realize today that if we're not to give place to the devil, they, you know, if you missed your devotions, you missed your Bible reading time, or listen, you have your Bible reading time, and you just go through it out of the motions instead of letting the Spirit of God speak to you, and you miss your prayer time, and you're not walking with God, listen, we are giving place to the devil. We don't deal with that critical spirit or that past fault or some past issue from the past that we never dealt with. And we bring up these dry, dead, these dirty old dog bones. Listen, no wonder these things bother us there. Listen, we cannot give place to the devil. You ought to decide tonight. Listen, we're going to go home. We're going to say, devil, you have no part in our home. And devil, get out of our home. And devil, get out of this area here. And we're going to change our entertainment system. And we're going to close off this computer. And we're going to put some filtering devices. And we're just going to decide. We're going to adapt the practices that are found here in, in Ephesians chapter 4. There, there must be defensive strategy then look at verse 26 verse 27 is about don't give place to the devil notice verse 26 in verse 26 he says be angry and sin not now he understands we have we all have anger we all have anger but he says, don't sin with your anger. He says, be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. God knows that every relationship is going to have conflicts. But God gives us wisdom here in verse 26, how to wisely manage those conflicts so they don't get out of control, so they don't exasperate them and take them farther than where God wanted them to be. There will be moments when we'll get exasperated and angry and upset. And he says, don't let your sun go down upon, the, upon your wrath. The story is told of two little boys. One's an older brother, one's a younger brother. Both of them got into a fist fight. And the older brother, of course, was a little bit strong, a little bit bigger. He dominated. He beat up the little brother. In fact, he beat the fire out of his little brother. Let his little brother have it. I was going to ask for a show of hands how many older brothers let the younger brothers have it. But I didn't want to see that. Amen. 
And so the, the younger brother took an extreme beating and, and he was more bruised in his eagle than he was on the outside. And he was upset all day there because that fight happened right around noontime and the mother had to come and break it up and she tried to separate the two and get, get the, just to kind of get the fire to go down. But the younger brother was filled with a lot of anger and his anger went along during the day, became wrath, it was filled with hostility. So finally after dinner, the mother sat down the younger brother and she said, listen, let's go to the Bible. And she read him this passage of scripture. She says, you know, God's word says in verse 26, be ye angry and sin not and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. She said, listen, you are very angry with your brother. I want you to, I want you to get, get this that get rid of it she said that god tells us do not let the sun go down upon your wrath she said the sun is setting right now you need to get deal with this this anger problem and the little boy looked and he had this very annoyed look on his face and he said to his mother but mommy how can i keep the sun from going down and i think it's an attitude a lot of christians have that we just don't want the sun to go down we have to prove we're right we have to just you know it doesn't matter who's right or what really matters is god is right God gives us defensive strategies, defensive safeguards. But notice God also gives us directives in these safeguards. And I want you to notice with me this morning that these directives are commandments. They're not suggestions. How many understand this morning? A a commandment is not a suggestion. Amen? These are important steps that must be taken to deal with repair broken relationships. And let us decide this morning we're committing ourselves to these directives as we get into them. Notice there are three, three directives that God gives us here. The first one is found in verses 25 and 31. Would you notice that, please? And he uses a phrase that's found in verse 25 and verse 31. Notice in verse 25 he says, putting away. And in verse 31 he says, put away. And I use the word disposal. The word putting away lying or put away from you has an idea of throwing out garbage. It has the idea, if you understand how Jerusalem was, was, was designed. Jerusalem had these many different entrances and exits. They called them gates. And one of the gates that they had led to, led, led to the south area, to an area called the Valley of Hinnom. And it was called the Dung Gate. And the Dung Gate was a place where people would go out to throw out their garbage and their refuge. People accumulate their garbage, their sewage, their refuge. And it was their responsibility to get it out of their home. They were not to dump it on the streets. They were not supposed to dump it in the curbside or anything like that. They were supposed to walk out and carry it out to this valley, Hinnom, where there was a perpetual fire that was always going on. And they were to dump their garbage out there. The idea we have here of putting away is a disposal idea. It's to, it's to throw the garbage out, to get rid of the garbage, not keep it away around there. It also is to same word that is used in over there in John chapter 1 verse 29 when John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world you understand when Jesus took away our sins he took them all away He's like, the, he's like the scapegoat. When the priest laid his hands on the scapegoat and let him go, he took them away. They were never to come back. The idea that God has here, there ought to be such a transformation of our lives. We ought to be so closely in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and working through things. He says in verse 25, to put away lying. He says in verse 31, to put away bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking with all messages. Put it away. He says, dispose of it. Hey, this morning, I wish I could tell you I had a big garbage bag at the door on the way out. You could dump out some of those things there. But what I encourage you to do is do like you do when you get on an airplane. At every airplane, at every seat, they have a vomit bag. And that bag there is where you put your refuse. May I suggest this morning, take the vomit bag and put your garbage inside there and decide, I'm going to leave it at the altar. I'm not taking it home with me. There's disposal. Number two. Notice verse 29. Again, these are safeguards. God is directed. It's a directive. The second directive is, I call it desist, stop. And notice what he says in verse 28, would you please? Say amen if you're there. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now they had a problem in that community, and back in those days, people stole and had no conscience about it. People had no conscience about stealing and being thieves and so forth. But I want to give you an application. You better buck your seatbelt on this one here. I want to give you an application for our marriage at home. Hey, look up here. Stop stealing the joy and the laughter and the happiness from your spouse. Stop stealing time for your spouse. 
Some of you in relationships where it's tops, it's over, it's, it's lopsided. There's one spouse giving, giving, and the other one's taking. There must be equal giving, equal taking. It's not a 50-50 relationship. It's a 100-100 relationship. Get to work, he says. Let him labor, work as a, work on the thing. Okay, accept the fact, let's come to reality. Alright, we have some issues. Let's work on it. Amen? Let's labor with our hands. Let's labor with our hearts. Let's put our hand to the task and work, work through this. Hey, listen, stop stealing the best years from each other. Enjoy your life and go on. There are things that we do, little things that we make into mountains that really we need to take those mountains and make them into little things. And notice the third thing he says there. By the way, don't come to church to steal the joy out of other people. And don't take the word of God that's being preached, which is God's holy word, and come out and give somebody else your opinion about what you think the word of God. You're trying to steal somebody away from this church. You're trying to steal them away from the Lord. That's wrong. That is incorrect. The Bible calls that a grievous wolf. Notice delightful, verse 32. And Paul had to write this. You have to imagine he's writing to a tough audience. He knew that as he's writing these things and giving it to them, if he was even there to preach it, he would get a lot of pushback from these believers. And in verse 32, we teach our children this and we get them to memorize it, but how much more we need this in our practices. The first directive, we're to dispose. The second directive, we're to desist. But the third directive is we're to be delightful. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake forgiving. Hey, listen, the Christian life is not like, like the war between North and South Korea. Or the war between China, the terrible war between China and America. It's not about who's going to be the first out. You be the first out. We have no rights. We think we have rights. We have no rights. We are, we are bond slaves to Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 32 again. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. Master artist came down with a terrible sickness. His paintings went all over the world. He could do with the stroke of a brush what the common man could not do. He made paintings that seemed to come alive. And you'd look at the painting and see the eyes of the individual. You would think they looked like real eyes. He would have paintings where he would draw an animal and almost you'd feel like that animal was inside of your room. His paintings were popular. His paintings were well received. He was a beloved artist of his generation. He came down with a terrible sickness and he succumbed and died of that sickness. After time of grieving had gone on and the city had mourned him and, and properly laid him to rest, the, the time went by and, and a little boy that was learning how to paint, uh, to do, do the same timber type of painting, had, just, had heard about the fact that he had kept all of his, his, his paint brushes. And the little boy went to the home of that master painter, that master artist, and knocked on the door very meekishly. And the woman, that, that his wife came to the door, an older woman, she came and came to the door and looked down and saw the little boy, maybe about 10 or 12 years of age. She said, yes, son, can I help you? And he said, yes, ma'am, I understand that your husband has passed on from this life. And she said, I'm very sorry about that. But I understand that he also left all of his, 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 his paint brushes aside there, his artist brushes. And he said, he asked the lady, he said, ma'am, she said, there was one that I understand he used quite frequently. There's one that he used all the time. He said, can I have that brush? And the woman said, sir, she said, little boy, why don't you come inside and I'll show you the brush. And he came inside and he says, yes, I've seen that brush. I've seen him work with that. I've been here before. He says, can I have that brush? Is there any way you would let me have that brush? And she said, listen, I'll tell you what, you can have this brush, but let's go to his room where he did his paintings. And I want you to get, I'm going to have a clean canvas out for you. And I'm going to give you some, uh, some colors, some paint. And I want you to take this paintbrush and I want you to show me what you can do with that brush. And the little boy thought in his mind, if I have the master's paintbrush that I can draw just like the master and I'll be able to do masterpieces like him and the great little boy had these great aspirations that he could paint like the master could and so the little boy started on one piece of canvas and he started making strokes and he started making things and what he thought was going to turn out 
just didn't meet his expectations. And he got upset and he tore that piece of paper on and he started again. And he did this for many minutes there for he just would start, do something, he would tear it off. And he got very frustrated. When he looked at the lady, he says, I don't understand. He said, I have the master's paintbrush, but I can't paint like the master. To which the, the master's wife wisely said to the little boy, she says, remember this, you cannot paint like the great master unless you have the master's spirit. You know what? We can't live out verse 32, 31, 32, unless we have the master spirit. We can try in all of our mind and we can go to all the self-help classes and we can get all the tools and we can ask all the advice we want and we can pick up some book that's new on the marketplace. I'm going to tell you, all those things are good, but unless we have the master spirit, it's not going to happen. And so we see Paul gives, he tells us about the invasive strategies of Satan. He tells us about how to insulate ourselves with safeguards, which you notice as we close this morning, he gives us one more thing. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we look at these things, these practical self-helps of the Lord, these practical spiritual helps that God gives us for our homes and our lives, our marriage, our family and our parenting. Can I understand, tell you something, to be real honest with you? We need sustainability. And to get into this, we may go off with good intention. I pray that we will this morning. I pray that all across the auditorium that we will approach this passage of Scripture with a great spirit of teachability and application. But the truth of the matter is, 24 hours from now, 48 hours from now, one week from now, one month from now, one year from now, will we have the same sustainability that we had at this moment as the Holy Spirit speaks to us? And so we have to understand something. We can only go in the emotion for just a moment or two. We've got to have something that will help us to have what I call an inspired steadfastness. We must have something that will help us to be steadfast in keeping these things and making sure the safeguards are in place and making sure that we're, we're, we're cognizant and aware of the strategies of Satan. We must have something that helps us to be steadfast. And I want to declare to you this morning as we close in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Lord gives us an inspired steadfast. He helps us not to put our focus on us and not to put our focus on what whether or not next year Heritage Baptist Church will have a couple's retreat and not to put our focus on the fact and wonder what's the next leading Christian book that's going to come out there or to put our focus on a focus on the family emphasis. Listen, what God wants us to do is get our focus on the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's the only one that can inspire us to be steadfast in what we do. And so what you notice in verse 2, first of all, we have a proven pattern. Now remember, I said this a couple messages ago. Paul was writing to a pagan culture. Believers living in a pagan culture. Listen, the culture was doing more to influence the believer than the believer was influencing them. May I park on there for just a moment? Let's be careful that we're not so much in the culture. We're not so much involved with our work culture and the worldly culture and our school culture that we are just like them. Listen, we are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people that we should show forth the marvelous light of Jesus Christ in a place of darkness. Amen. And you look at this verse, verse of Scripture, it, says, it tells us to do something that is not normal. It tells us to do something that is not what people do because people mind their own business. But he says, walk in love even as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. You know what? The proven pattern is Jesus Christ. The proven pattern is the love that Jesus exhibited. When we think we cannot do it, when we think it's too hard, we're, we have a quitting spirit, and we're about to give up, we're about to throw in the towel. Listen, the proven pattern is we've got to get our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and remind ourselves we're to walk in love, even as Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. Look at what these verses are telling us. Number one, Jesus and His love and sacrifice is our pattern. Notice He's saying, Jesus' love and grace, in His love and grace, He gave His all. We cannot approach what we're doing by being part, part-time at We've got to be full-time at this thing. Jesus and His love and grace is pleasing. Jesus and His love and grace was completely sacrificial. Jesus and His love and grace keeps on loving. Jesus and His love and grace sees us for what we can be, not what we were. We park on verse 2, man, it's convicting. Walk is in love. When Jesus walked Golgotha's road, every step he took was painful. But every step he took, even as the sweat, the blood was flowing down his head and from his back, every step he took was a step of love for you and me. 
He did not walk to Calvary with a grudging heart. And he did not walk to Calvary with a spiteful heart. He walked with a heart that was broken and bleeding and overflowing with love for those he was going to give his life for. And listen, as he made his way, he would have even crawled there. And listen, he was thankful for that moment that Simon of Simon of Cyrene came by and he carried the cross of Jesus. But even Simon carrying the cross could not go all the way. Simon could not be our Savior. Jesus had to be our Savior. Christ gave Himself for us. And the idea and the image that Paul is giving here is that of an offering being made in the morning. A burnt offering which all of the animal was consumed in the fire. And a total, complete sacrifice. And he calls it a sweet-smelling savor. That as it went up, it was a sweet-smelling. As the burnt offering would have to be, it was something the sweet-smelling in the in the nostrils of God. Hey, this morning, something very convicting for us is our pattern of love, sweet-smelling in the in the in the nostrils of our God. We have a proven pattern. Jesus is our pattern. Walk in love, even as Christ has loved. And by the way, that works just as well when we come to church. Amen. We have a proven pattern, but notice in verse one. Jesus Christ, the Lord gives us, Paul gives us a practical paradigm. Paul makes mention of all these things in Ephesians chapter 4. And bear in mind, the original scriptures were not separated by chapters. We begin chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. It's connected right after verse 32, chapter 4. And this practical paradigm that we're given, he says, listen, you are not followers of the pagan goddess Diana. You're no longer a pagan going down that pathway. You're saved. I said you're saved. Jesus is in your heart. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. He talks about the Spirit of God whom we're sealed to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. That's why He gave us the marvels of Ephesians chapter 1. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, you've got more than a person that's not saved. You are adopted into the family of God. You are accepted into the beloved. Listen, God has a priority for your life. He talks about the riches we have in Jesus Christ. And as we get to chapter 5 verse 1, He says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. I'm wondering this morning, hey listen, I'm wondering this morning the people that Watch it. Do they do they do they see any similarity between us and Jesus Christ? Do they see us as following Christ or following our own philosophy? Do they see us following Jesus Christ or going our own way? Listen, there's too many of us have let the old nature control us and guide us and dictate to us what to do. It's time to take the old nature, bring it to the altar, and crucify the old nature to Jesus Christ. Be followers of God, notice this as dear children. Now that's encouraging. The word followers is the same idea of discipling. Everyone who's in a discipleship class right now, my goal is not for you to go through a workbook and through a process. My goal for you is to fulfill Ephesians 5.1, that you are a follower of God. That you get enough discernment from what reading through the Scriptures and from what you're being taught there to idly divide the Word of Truth, to understand truth from error so that some false teacher doesn't come along and tell you, well, that's not what it really says there and that's not what really goes on. Turn off your television set, throw out those old books and get into the real book, the inspired Word of God, because the Bible says if you read this, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished on all the good works. You're not going to be a complete Christian unless you're in this book. Christ is our all in all. Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. He said, be followers of God. It's not hard if we obey. And we're going this way and we have a spouse that's trying to go this way and we're going this way and our parents are trying to go this way and listen, what's happening? We are following our flesh instead of following God. But he had some love to this. He says, be you followers of God as what kind of children? What kind of children? What does that mean? As children he loves. Children he gave himself for. It reminds us that it's a practical paradigm. We belong to God. That's why I love that song. Now I belong to Jesus. 
Jesus belongs to me. We have a proven pattern. Practical paradigm. And I imagine just like with me and like with you this morning, as we go through verses 25 to 32, we feel like, oh, man, that hit me hard. (laughs) I've got a lot of changes to make, right? Amen? And then Paul pulls it together. He inspires us how to be steadfast in this. You know what he's saying? You're on the winning side. You can get it done. It's possible. Be followers of God as dear children. And walk in love even as Christ has loved us. And has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. A lady left her home and went shopping around the corner back in the days of the corner grocery stores. And she thought, as we all try to do, that she'd turn things off. And she'd forgotten. She left the stove on at a low heat, but it was on. And she said, I'm only going to be gone for a minute. And she left a little six-month-old baby in the home. And she went off to do her, go around the corner to get her bread and her milk and so forth like that. And, and as she was making her way there, she was inside the store. As she was coming out, she saw the fire trucks coming by. And she saw the direction they were going. And she got a little concerned. She said, wait, that looks like it's going the direction where my house is. And she said, I think I better walk a little bit faster to make sure it's not my house. And she started walking a little faster. She turned the corner to her horror and to her chagrin. She realized that the house that the fire department went to was her own home. And somewhere along the way, that low burning stove, something caught on fire and it caught on something else and combustible flames started happening and the fire went into a rage and started set that house on fire. And of course, that woman got very, very anxious at that moment because she thought, I've got a six-month-old baby inside that home. And she dropped her groceries. She ran to the home and the firefighters there, this, this flame, the flames were going up. I mean, this, this house was up in flames like a tinderbox. It was going and she got very concerned. She said, wait, say, wait, wait, wait. She said, somebody help. I've got a six-month-old baby inside that home. I've got a six-month-old baby that's inside that home. Somebody needs to go inside there. And a young fire that was new to the force, he came up to the chief. He said, Chief, I have a little child just like hers. He says, I know everybody else may be scared, but I can find my way. I'll go inside and get it. He says, Son, you're going to get killed. That thing is going up in flames. It's in death, nothing saved. He says, Let me go, sir. Let me go. And they let the firefighter go, and he made his way up those stairs. He could feel the stairs starting to crack and to creak. And he could hear the timber flowing down and things falling. But he tried to avoid all that. And he saw the little baby there, in spite of all the smoke. And then he saw the little baby, and it was coughing and gasping. And the baby was crying away. And he made his way, grabbed the baby. Baby, and he searched his way and he found the bedroom window. As he saw the bedroom window, he broke the window open. He looked out and said, hey, can somebody, I can't come down fast to catch the baby. And a bunch of firemen got together. They waited. He said, go ahead, go ahead, throw the baby down. And as he cast the baby out, they safely caught the baby. But the firefighters, he made his way down. Unbeknownst to him, the fire had consumed the whole staircase. And as he made his first step, the staircase collapsed and he was consumed in the fire. Twenty years later, a young lady was at a gravesite. There was a monument of the firefighter. And she was weeping and crying at that site. A passerby came by and he said, Ma'am, are you okay? You're crying pretty hard. Was this your father? Is this your father that you're crying over? She said, no, sir. Today's the anniversary of the day the man who this monument was built for gave his life for me. The little baby that had been saved was now a 20-year-old woman who never forgot that man sacrificed his life so that she could live. What a story this morning to remind us Our Lord Jesus Christ, on a much bigger magnitude, gave his life for you and me, that we might live. That he died for all, that they which live should not live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and gave himself for them. The Bible tells us about Satan's invasion strategies. Neither give place to the devil. We're to guard ourselves against sins of speech and sins of the spirit. God gives us insulated safeguards, safeguards to insulate us from those attacks, safeguards that are directives, safeguards that are defensive, safeguards that are delightful. 
And then He gives us an inspiration. He shows us that we can go on. We can have sustainability in our homes, in our lives, but realizing Jesus Christ is our, gives us, inspires us to steadfastness. He is a proven pattern, and He gives us a practical paradigm. He shows us how we can live for God. We can't do it. We can't fulfill it. It can't be done. And this morning as we close, I have a twofold invitation. I wonder how many of us this morning in the spirit, in the spirit of this passage of Scripture would come with our spouse and come with our family and come with our parents and find our way humbly at the old-fashioned altar and say, God, you spoke to me today. And these very same things, these defensive safeguards, I want them, Lord, in my life. And God, you help me to realize there may be some places right now that Satan is infiltrated in our home. And we need to take back our home. We need to kick the squatter out. Listen, the Bible tells us in Romans 16, Now the God of peace bruised Satan under your feet shortly. And this morning's a time we need to come to the God of peace to help us to... Bruce Satan under our feet and give us the help we need in our homes. Whatever, whatever stronghold Satan has in your home, let's break that stronghold this morning. And let's come today. You come today with a heart of humility saying, Lord, we need your help. We adopt these safeguards. We want to insulate our home. And we're looking to Jesus Christ as our proven pattern. You come this morning. Don't delay. Don't wait. Our homes are too important. Our families are too important to let it lay there. We need to take care of that this morning. Secondly, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Christ died for you that you might have eternal life. And Christ offers to you the free gift of eternal life by simply understanding today you are a sinner. Your sin has to be punished. Jesus Christ was punished for your sins. He became your sacrifice. He also was your substitute for your sins. But He rose again from the dead and offers to you and me the gift of eternal life. Simply, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can be saved from your sins this morning. You can be saved and become born into the family of God. And Heritage Baptist Church and this pastor invite you this morning. If you're not 100% sure you're saved, we invite you today to come to Jesus Christ and receive him today. We have people, we have men and women around the altar that will be here that can greet you, that can show you how to be saved. We invite you this morning, come today and come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would you establish today? Would you establish today? We're going to have a rock-solid home because it's standing upon the solid rock, Jesus Christ. Our Father, today, thank you for the admonition for homeland security, how we need to secure our homes for the glory of God. And as we look at this passage of Scripture, it powerfully speaks to us about areas we need to strengthen. The Bible tells us to strengthen the things that remain, to give ourselves heed to the Word of God, And this morning, I pray that every family represented here in the church would come humbly in realizing we've got to give ourselves to these things. That, Lord, we're taking back what this devil's taken over. Lord, we're going to commit a wounded spirit to you. We're going to commit to you, Lord, a hardened heart. We're going to commit to you, Lord, a critical heart and a critical spirit. And to confess today that, Lord, we need your grace, your power, and your love in a wonderful way to work in our lives. Father, help us today to come humbly and to seek your help. We need strength today. And thank you we have... Jesus Christ is our inspiration because we can, we can come, we can be followers of God as dear, dear children. And we can, Lord, walk in love even as Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And thank you, Jesus is our pattern. And thank you, Jesus gives us the paradigm. We need to be changed. We need to be transformed. Help us this morning that things will not be the same, but things will be different. Father, I pray this morning, as soon as we give the invitation, help folks to come, not to, be, not to delay, but have boldness to come and seek the Lord. Father, we give you thanks now for what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. And we pray for your blessing now in Jesus' name. As you stand, if God's spoken to you, make your way to the altar this morning. Come with your spouse. Come with your family. Would you come this morning? Families, we need to come. We need safeguards for our homes. You might need it individually. I might have been talking to some singles this morning. You need some safeguards in your life. There's some sins of speech and sins of the Spirit. You need to deal with Hey, have you been critical? Have you been critical? Corrupt communications coming out of your mouth. We need to be downer this morning to seek out the Lord. And then today, if you're not sure you're saved, you've just been playing the Christian life, we invite you this morning, call upon the Lord to save you from your sins. Let's be, get saved today. You can be saved right now by coming to the Lord. We're opening the altar up. Would you come this morning? Would you come today? Let's come today. Be angry, sin not. Let not your the sun go down upon your wrath. Put away lying from one another. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, malice and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Hey, walk in love. He just Christ loved us and gave himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God as a sweet smelling savor. How's your spirit this morning? How's your spirit been the last six months? You finding more faults, more negativisms and positivisms? We need to find our way to the altar this morning. Let's find our way this morning. Let's get the power of Christ to help us. And then today, if you're not sure you're saved, we invite you to come. Would you come this morning? It's too late. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Father, as many are praying around the room, thank you, Lord, that you're a loving, forgiving God. Thank you for verse 1 of chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Lord, thank you. You never turn us away. Thank you, Lord, that you love us and you forgive us. Thank you for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, this morning we bow our hearts to you and ask this morning that you be glorified and please through our lives. Father, I commit every home represented here. I commit to you every relationship. I commit to you every parent situation, every marriage situation. That, Lord, what's been spoken today has been medicine to our hearts, has been a mirror to our soul, and the mandates of God will help us to glorify you. Father, this morning, dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to come prepared with excitement and enthusiasm for tonight's service. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have a Connect video we want you to see for just a moment to update you some things about our church, some upcoming events. My big thing I want to encourage you about tonight is uh, be here this evening for our evening service for the baby child dedication. And then we want to encourage you about, for all the ladies, we have our ladies uh, annual ladies fellowship. It's going to be an exciting one next Saturday at 10 o'clock. Ladies, if you haven't signed up, you'll get this on the Connect video. Please sign up for that if you would later on. And uh, so we know, have a good count of how many will be here for that. It's a potluck. So we're asking all the ladies to bring an entree of some kind that could uh, serve at least, you know, eight, eight ladies or so there. And that would be a blessing for that. And you come to help us with that. After the Connect video, Brother Irm will lead us in closing prayer. And my wife and I look forward to meeting you at the back, shaking your hand. And thank you for being here at church today.